Jesus calls us to take up our cross and follow him. You're listening to Crosswalk with Pastor Steve Winery. Crosswalk is the radio ministry of Calvary Chapel Tri-Cities, and it is our aim to lead you to the cross through the teaching of God's Word. And then it says that he went through the Old Testament and he gave them a Bible study talking about every place where it speaks of the fact that these are the things that had to happen. That Jesus had to die, that he had to die for sin, and that he was going to be buried, and on the third day he was going to rise again. What a great Bible study. Be better than this one. Don't you wish Jesus was up here talking about the resurrection? You know, someday you're going to get that. Someday you're going to stand before him and you can say, Jesus, just tell us about the resurrection. Tell us about everything that was going on with these guys. Tell, them, tell us about what was in their hearts. Tell us about what you were doing and, and that kind of thing. And it'd be way better than anything I could tell you. In, in any case, that's the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus died for my sin, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day. That's the gospel. It's the good news. It's why I know that Jesus is the son of God. It's why I know that he can, he can change my life. Again, because he's the, he's the only one who has overcome death and raised himself from the dead. It goes on and says, and that he was seen by Cephas, that's the Arama Aramaic name for Peter, then by the 12. We don't know anything about that one appearance of Jesus to Cephas, to Peter there. We don't know what happened there. We do, do know that it happened, but we don't know what, what was said. We don't know what took place there. And then by the 12, and so he's talking about Jesus on that Sunday night, appearing to the apostles in the room, Thomas being absent. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep. That lets you know that this cannot be a hallucination. You can't have a mass hallucination of over 500 people. It doesn't work that way. And so it has to be something that's real, something that they could see and, and know that was actual and physical. After that, he was seen by James. That's Jesus's brother. That's another appearance that we're, we're not told about in the Bible in the sense of what took place. But what took place there got James saved. Because by the time that you get to Acts chapter one, Acts chapter two, and on through the book of Acts, James is a radical follower of his brother Jesus, and he ends up being the pastor at the, at the church at Jerusalem. And so a total change because of this appearance of Christ. And then by all the apostles, then last of all, he was seen by me also as by one born out of due time. For I'm the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, it's whether it was me or whether it was the apostles, whether it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. And he's talking to the Corinthians and he says, He's saying to them, this is what we told you. This is what we taught you. That Jesus died, was buried, 
and rose again the third day. And one of the things that was going on with the Corinthians is they were taking worldly philosophy, specifically philosophy, Greek philosophy, and they were trying to incorporate it in Christianity. And so one of the philosophies of the Greeks was that there is no resurrection. They saw no point to a resurrection. They believed in an immortal soul, but they did not believe that the body that was put in the ground was ever gonna be raised because what would be the point? And if you're looking at it from you know, a thoroughly natural point of view or from a natural mindset, it's kind of like that. That's what I thought when I first became a Christian. It's like, why are we gonna do the resurrection thing? What, what's that for? I mean, you know, my body's a hassle anyway. And so once I get rid of my body, isn't that a good thing? And so I'm floating around a spirit totally free or you know, whatever. And I thought that that might be better than being in a body. That's Greek philosophy. What the Bible teaches is that God leaves nothing undone. And so he made you body, soul, and spirit, and you are going to remain body, soul, and spirit for the rest of eternity. It's just going to be a spirit that's made alive by the Holy Spirit. It's gonna be a mind, that's the soul part, a mind that's been completely changed and conformed to the mind of Christ, and a body that is perfected and made just like Jesus's body after he rose from the dead. And so that's the point of the resurrection. God leaves nothing undone. And I, I'm not saying that that's the ultimate point because I don't know what the ultimate point is, but that's the point that I'm making here, that God leaves nothing undone. And so he's not leaving you in the ground someplace. He's not gonna leave you in, in an urn full of ashes. He's not gonna leave you that way. What he's gonna do is glorify you in all your parts, including your body. And so that's what's going on. So anyway, these guys didn't believe in the resurrection. And so now Paul goes through and he starts capping on these guys because of their unbelief. He says, now if Christ is preached that he's been raised from the dead, and Paul just made that point, how does some among you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And he's doing a lesson in logic to them, with them. I think that a lot of times Christians come up with goofy things that contradicts scripture and they're not thinking about the implications. And so what these guys are probably doing is doing the same thing that I did. What's the point of a resurrection? I don't think, that, I don't think it's needed. Maybe that's not what's going to happen and doing that, doing that kind of thing. And Paul points out the implications there. If there is no resurrection, then what about Jesus's resurrection? And if you're saying that's an absolute truth, there's no resurrection, then Jesus didn't rise from the dead. And again, that's the point that he's making here. Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, literally vain, and your faith is also vain. It's empty. Your faith is empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up if, if in fact the dead do not rise. And that's the next point he ma he's making here. You say that there's no resurrection, what you're doing is you're calling me a liar. What you're doing is you're calling all the apostles a liar. Because what we said was that we saw the risen Christ. We saw him, we touched him, we heard him. We know that he's alive. This is what we told you. And now you're saying that that doesn't happen. And they probably weren't saying that because they probably didn't think through the implications. But a, a lot of times, again, we can go off on dumb rabbit trails and get ourselves into a position where we're absolutely contradic contradicting scripture 
in major ways. He goes on and says, for if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And again, he repeats that. And if Christ is not risen, here's another implication, your faith is futile, you're still in your sins. So what that lets me know is that the resurrection of Jesus is proof that Christ can forgive sin. The resurrection of Jesus is proof that the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross actually does what the Bible says it does. It actually takes away sin. Jesus said that that's what's going to happen. I'm gonna to go to the cross, I'm gonna die for your sin, and then I'm gonna rise again the third day so that you'll know that these things are true, that what I've told you is true. And he said this multiple times, and then he went and did it. And so I know that my sins are taken away, not because I feel like it. I know that my sins are taken away because it's grounded in a historical event that was an absolute miracle that evidence that Jesus is actually the son of God according to power. Like it says in Romans chapter one, verse four. He goes on and says, then also those who've fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And what he's saying there is those who've died, those people who've died in Christ have perished. They're not, there's, there's not gonna be any more of them because there's no resurrection from, from the dead. They're just in the ground, that's it. That's all there is. You have no hope of heaven without the resurrection from the dead. You have no hope of eternal life without the resurrection from the dead. The, the reason I know I'm going to heaven, the reason I know I'm going, I, I'm going to live forever is not because I feel like it or because it's a favorite teaching or something like that. It's because it's, it's grounded and based in the resurrection of Christ. The resurrection is one of the most important doctrines that you have in scripture. As soon as you give up the resurrection, you give up forgiveness of sin, you give up eternal life, you give up a, a home in heaven, you give up all of these things and they can't be shown to be real. They're just, a, they're just they might as well just be a fantasy, just a hope so and that's not what we have. We have a grounded hope and again that hope is grounded in the resurrection of Christ. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are all, of all men the most pitiable. And then he says in verse 20, but now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. We'll talk more about that later on. Again, the, the Bible in Romans chapter one, verse four says that Jesus is declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. So I know that the things that Jesus taught are true because he rose from the dead. I know that the things that he said about himself, that he's the son of God, is true because he rose from the dead. I know that his promises of forgiveness of sin and of eternal life are true because he rose from the dead. One of the things um, we need to understand about the Bible is that the Bible doesn't preach the kind of faith that a lot of people think faith is. I think it was Mark Twain that's, that said, faith is believing what you know is not true. That is not what the Bible teaches. What the Bible teaches is that faith is trust. The word, the word faith itself, the word faith, the word belief, those are all the same word in Greek. And the word trust, all the same word in Greek. And so faith means trust. So if you're having faith, you're having faith in something or in someone. And when you're talking about biblical faith, you're not having biblical faith in something. 
You're having biblical faith in someone. And the someone we're having faith in is God himself and Christ, the revealer of who God is. That's where our faith lies. It lies in Jesus. And I can have faith in Jesus, not because I'm hoping that the things he said is true, but because he proved it. He proved it's true. And again, he did that by rising from the dead. You follow that? And so this isn't a hope-so religion. It's something that's, that's grounded in historical events. And the reason God did that is so that you have a touchstone for your faith. You can know these things are true whether you feel like it or not. There have been times in my life when I knew that it would be much more convenient to be a non-Christian than to be a Christian. And there are times that I've taken walks and just thought about it. You know, this is hard. The things I'm going through are hard. The hassles that I'm having with people are hard. All of this stuff is tough. I could just walk away from this. And then I start going through and looking at all the things that, that God has taught me in his word, that God has shown me in my life, all the evidences that I know about. I'm all into apologetics. I know that the New Testament is the most reliable ancient document the world has ever seen by orders of magnitude. And there's no getting past it. The words that are written in the New Testament are the words that were written in the first century. If there's an argument about any of them, it's less than 1%, you guys, of the words. And their word order and spelling, that's mostly what the arguments are about. And so when, when, you're, when you're talking to somebody that says that the Bible's been edited over and over again and you can't trust it, you're talking to somebody who does not know what they're talking about. Because if you get rid of the New Testament, you have to get rid of all of ancient history, all of it. And the only way that we know that, thing, that certain things went on in Egypt with the pharaohs, all down through the lines with the Romans, all down the line through there, with all, all through the Middle Ages when you're talking about Europe, all the way, you guys, up to the printing press. The only way, way that we know about this is by handwritten copies that, that were put down by historians. And then we can go, you know, we can, we can confirm some of those things with archaeology, but not always. And so the only way that we know anything about world history, and especially in ancient times, is because we have witnesses of these things. And that's what you have with the New Testament. It's a witness of these things. And one of the things that unbelievers like to do is they like to think that the apostles are like them, that they'll lie for convenience sake. And what we have when we're talking about the apostles is we have men who are ingrained with the Ten Commandments. You guys know what the Ten Commandments are? Can you list them? One of the Ten Commandments is thou shalt not bear false witness. It's one of the commandments that Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He's saying, you're telling me I'm breaking the commandments. And so when you're looking at these guys, they are highly moral. They've been with Jesus for three and a half years. And so if they're coming along telling a story and they're telling a story that's patently false, that Jesus said that he was the son of God, that Jesus said that he was God in the flesh, that Jesus said that he was gonna prove it by rising from the dead. And these are Jesus's disciples, number one disciples. He had a number of them, but the 12 specifically were the top guys. So 
So number one disciples, the guys he trusted his message with, and the first thing that they pop off is with a, is a fantastic scam on everybody that's going to come after them. What's that say about Jesus's teaching? How many of you would walk out of here and say, you know what? You know, say, say I croak tomorrow. And you walk out of here and you go out and you start saying that Steve was a man that was come from God. He was God in the flesh. Raise your hands, all the people who would say that. Yeah, you wouldn't. And not only was he a man of God that came from God and he was God in the flesh, he's also a guy who died for all of our sins. And so when Jesus, when, when, excuse me, when Steve died on his hospital bed, the sin of all the world was coming down on Steve and he, he took it all away from all of us. How many of you would say that about me? Not one of you, right? Don't say yes, because we'll have a talk afterwards. How many of you would say that I rose from the dead when I didn't? And so this is the point that I'm making. If the apostles went out and told those lies, is Jesus a good moral teacher? I'm a better teacher than Jesus is. If these guys go out and tell those kind of lies, then I'm a better moral teacher than Jesus is because you would never say that about me. So you're better taught than the apostles were by Jesus himself. And the whole, the whole thing, the whole, the whole idea that this would be a scam at the, and that these guys would go around lying for their convenience, it's not even convenient, they all died for it. The fact that, that these guys would go out and do that is, is an indictment not against them so much as it is against Jesus. And so one of the things that unbelievers wanna do is they wanna make every Christian a liar. Every Christian that, that writes scripture in the New Testament, they wanna make them liars, but they wanna keep Jesus as a good moral teacher. No, you can't do that. And so you guys, you guys go out and you live, you, you claim to be somebody who has me as your pastor and I've taught you for years and you go out and live a radically immoral and ungodly life and say that these, and you think that you're okay with me on that, that, that says something about my teaching. You follow me? So what I want when somebody comes here is I want everybody in Tri-Cities to walk in the door. I don't care who they are. I don't care what they've done. I want them to walk in the door. I want them to have an encounter with Jesus and I want them to repent and I want them to give their lives to the Lord. And if they don't wanna do that, I want them to leave. And I want them to leave because they can't stand hearing what I'm saying anymore. And that's the kind of situation that you would have with Jesus. Jesus would literally drive people away at points because they, he knew that they weren't following, them for the right, following him for the right reasons. You see what I mean? So he wanted his apostles to be people who were men of integrity and would actually be good witnesses of, of what he had done when he taught and then when he died and when he rose again. Somebody who will actually tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. That's what a witness is. And the testimony that comes from them is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but, a, but the truth. That's what testimony is. And so when you're, when you're talking about testimonies with Christians and when you're talking about being a witness as a Christian, that's what we're called to do. That's what we're called to be, men and women of integrity. And it, again, it reflects on Christ. Now, here's one of the problems. Go back over to John chapter 20. 
it doesn't really go along with the rest of the, of the um, resurrection passages. And so this is another one of those places where people attack the gospels and they specifically attack the resurrection. And so they go after it and say, you know, all the resurrection stories are different and so they've gotta be bogus. Okay, so let's go through real quick and look at the stories. Turn over to, we've got John's story. And so Mary goes to the tomb, she sees the stone rolled away and then she, she takes off, runs and gets Peter and John. Peter and John come down to the tomb and they look inside, examine the grave clothes. Then they take off. They go, they go back to the place where they're staying. And then Mary's left there alone and Jesus appears to her. And we have the whole thing where she, where she grabs Jesus. Turn over to Matthew's gospel. Matthew chapter 27, starting in verse 61. It says that Mary Magdalene was there so up in verse 60, it talks about they laid Jesus in his new tomb, which he had hewn out of the rock. And then in verse 61, it says Mary Magdalene was there and the other Mary sitting opposite the tomb. And then it has a whole interchange with the priests and the Pharisees and Pilate, and they get a guard to guard the tomb. When you come to verse one of chapter 28, it says, now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. Um, but the angel and the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, do not be afraid for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here for he's risen, as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay and go quickly and tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead and indeed he's going before you into Galilee. There you will see him, behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them saying, rejoice. So they came and held him by the feet and worshiped him. They do the same thing that Mary did. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee and there they will see me. And so you have Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb and they have this whole thing with the angel and then they meet Jesus. And so that is that one. Turn over to Mark chapter 15, Mark 15. And in Mark 15, starting in verse 47, it says, and Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joses, observed where he was laid. Now, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Salome brought spices that they might come and anoint him. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen so again, we have this whole thing where it's sun up on the first day of the week. And they said among themselves, who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? And so they know that when they're going to the tomb that the stone's in the way because they saw Joseph and Nicodemus roll the stone in front of the door. And so the, these stones were like big wheels if you've, if you've never seen it. And they were, they were in a slot that was in front of the tomb door. It says, but when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side. And why does it say that? 
Why does it say right side? And they were alarmed. You've been listening to Crosswalk with Pastor Steve Winery. Crosswalk is the radio ministry of Calvary Chapel Tri-Cities in Kennewick, Washington. If you are interested in purchasing a copy of today's message or wanting to know more about what it means to follow Christ, then please contact our church office by phone at 509-736-2086. You can also look us up online at calvary-tricities.org. There you will find a wide variety of Pastor Steve's teachings to listen to or download for free. If you want to join us for church sometime, we are located at 10611 West Clearwater Avenue in Kennewick, Washington. Our Sunday morning service times are 7.30, 9.15, and 11 a.m. We also have Wednesday and Sunday evening services at 6.30 p.m. We hope you have been blessed today and join us again next time for Crosswalk.